0: chapter 22 of the pennicom quicks this librivox recording is in the public domain the pennicom quicks by sabine Baring-Gould. chapter 22 yes or no philip was right he had recognized the ring of mrs sidebottom as soon as the door was opened her voice was audible and philip used a strong expression which only wanted raising another stage to convert it into an oath salome caught up a couple of hyacinth glasses and resumed her interrupted occupation and philip went to the window to remove a spring-nail that incommoded him there are certain voices which when coming unexpectedly on the ear make the conscience feel guilty though it may be free from fault such was that of mrs sidebottom if philip had been studying his bible instead of talking to salome when he heard her he would have felt as though he had been caught reading an improper french novel and if salome had been engaged in making preserves in the kitchen she would have been conscious of inner horror and remorse as though she had been concocting poison the reason of this is that those who hear the voice know that the owner of the voice is certain whatever they do to believe them to be guilty of some impropriety and they are frightened not at what they have done but at what they may be supposed to have done i suppose that mr pennycumquick is in his room said mrs sidebottom passing on to the servant who had admitted her it is not his time to be at the office she ascended the stairs to the study door and in so doing passed salome who bowed and was not sorry to be unable to respond to the proffered hand having both of her own engaged carrying glasses philip heard his aunt enter the study after a premonitory rap and remained where he was hoping that as she did not find him in his room she would conclude that he was out and retire but mrs sidebottom was not a person to be evaded thus and after having looked round the room and called at his bedroom door she came out on the landing and entered the drawing-room when she discovered him penknife in hand removing his spring-nail oh she said with an eye on the bulbs and flower-glasses adam and eve in paradise to whom entered the mischief-maker said philip promptly turning upon her not complimentary philip you brought it on yourself it takes two to pick a quarrel said mrs sidebottom and i am in the most amiable mood to-day by the way you might have inquired about my health this morning for you knew i was not well yesterday as you had not the grace to do so, I have come to announce to you that I am better. I did not suppose that you had been seriously ill. Not seriously ill, but indisposed. I nearly fainted in church last night, as I told you, but you were otherwise occupied than in listening to me. Now I want to know, Philip, what was that rigmarole about something or someone seen in the dark? There was no rigmarole, as you call it oh do not pick faults in my language you know what i mean what was the excuse made by miss cussworth for taking your arm miss cussworth did not take my arm because you had not the wit to offer it and yet the hint given was broad enough i am busy said philip in a tone of exasperation his aunt's manner angered him so that he could not speak or act with courtesy towards her oh yes busy planting forget-me-not and love in a mist come do not be cross what was the meaning of that exclamation i want to know for i also saw some one standing by the lamp-post looking on i will tell you and then perhaps you will be satisfied aunt louisa and when satisfied i trust you will no longer detain me from my business then philip shortly and plainly narrated to his aunt what had happened he did so because he thought it possible, just possible, that she might be able to explain the apparition. She was surprised and disconcerted by what she heard, but not for long. Who has the garden key? she inquired. My uncle had one on his bunch. And that bunch is in your possession? Yes, and has not been out of it. It is locked up in my bureau. Very well. Then the fellow did not get in by that means. Had anyone else a key? Yes, Mrs. Cusworth. And is there a third? No, that is all. Where was Mrs. Cusworth's key on the night in question? I did not inquire. It was unnecessary. Not at all unnecessary. If the man did not obtain access by your key, he did by that of the housekeeper. This is preposterous, said Philip irritably you have made no allowance for another contingency that the door may have been left unlocked and ajar by the gardener when last at work that will not do the gardener has not been about the place for a fortnight or three weeks you say that the servants may have allowed a friend to take the pick of jeremiah's clothes that explains nothing for it does not account for the garden door being unlocked though it might for the house door being left open why should not the Cuthsworths have needy relatives and hangers on as well as the servant girls? Needy relatives smelling of beer, with patched small clothes and pimply faces, who fly about with the bats, and to whom the cast off clothing, the good hat, and warm overcoat would be a boon. Who are these Cuthsworths? Whence have they come? Out of as great an uncertainty as this mysterious figure. They are creations out of nothing, like the universe but not like it to be pronounced very good now philip is not my solution of the riddle the only logical one this is enough on the subject said philip especially chafed because his aunt's explanation really was the simplest and yet was one which he was unwilling to allow you charge high-minded honourable people with-i charge them with doing no harm interrupted mrs sidebottom the clothes were laid out to be distributed to the needy and mrs Cusworth was given the disposal of them if she chose to favour a relative who is to blame her not i she would probably not care to have the sort of relative who would touch his cap for jeremiah's old suits come openly to the door in the blaze of day and before the eyes of the giggling maids no doubt she said to the moulting relative come in the dark help yourself to new plumage but do not discredit us by proclaiming kinship. Philip was too angry to answer his aunt. To change the subject, he said, Miss Cussworth has refused to receive anything from us. That some influence has been brought to bear on her to induce this, I have no doubt, and I have as little doubt as to whose influence was exerted. He looked fixedly at his aunt i am glad she has had the grace to do so answered mrs sidebottom cheerily no philip you need not drive your eyes into me as if they were bradalls i can quite understand that she has told you all and laid the blame on me i do not deny my part in the transaction i am not ashamed of it on the contrary i glory in it you were on the threshold of a great folly that jeopardized the firm of pennycum quick and my allowance out of it as well i have stepped in to stop you i had my own interests to look after i have saved you four thousand pounds which you could not afford to lose am i not an aunt whose favour is worth cultivating an aunt who deserves to be treated with elementary politeness then philip's anger boiled up we see everything through opposite ends of the telescope what is infinitely small to me and far away is to you present and immense and what to me is close at hand and overwhelming is quite beyond your horizon to my view of things we are committing a moral wrong when technically right how that will was cancelled and by whom will probably never be known but nothing in the world will persuade me that uncle jeremiah swung from one extremity of liberality to miss Cusworth, coupled with injustice to us to the other extreme of generosity to us and absolute neglect of her such a thing could not be. He would turn in his grave if he thought that she, an innocent, defenseless girl, was to be left in this heartless, criminal manner, without a penny in the world, contrary to his wishes. Why did he not make another will, if he wished it so much? Upon my word, said Philip angrily, I would give up my share readily to have Uncle Jeremiah back, and know the rights of the matter of the will he stood looking at his aunt with eyes that were full of anger and the arteries in his temples dark and swollen. I shall take care, he said, that she is not defrauded of what is her due. Then he left the room and slung the door after him with violence, and certainly with discourtesy. Never before had he lost his self-control, as he had lost it in Mrs. Sidebottom's presence on this occasion. But before he had reached the foot of the staircase, he had recovered his cold and formal manner. As he saw Salome come from the cupboard where she was arranging the hyacinths, he bade her in an imperious manner attend him into the breakfast room, and she obeyed readily, supposing he had some domestic order to give. Shut the door, please, he said. The anger raised by Mrs. Sidebottom affected his address and behavior to Salome. A sea that has been lashed into fury beats indiscriminately against every object, rock or sandbank he stationed himself with his back to the window and signed to the girl to face him miss cussworth he said putting his hands behind him as though he were standing before the hearth and not at a window my aunt has imposed on your ignorance has taken a wicked advantage of your generosity in persuading you to decline the offer that was made you i decline it from personal motives uninfluenced by her do you mean to tell me she has not been meddling in the matter? I know better. I do not deny that she spoke to me yesterday, but her words did not prompt. They only served to confirm the resolution already arrived at. But I will not allow you to refuse. You shall have the money. I never withdraw a word once given, said Salome with equal decision. Then you shall take a share in the mill, be a partner i cannot she said hastily with a rush of colour indeed this is impossible why so it cannot be i will not go back from my word i have my conscience that speaks imperiously said philip i cannot i will not be driven by your obstinacy to act dishonourably unjustly salome said nothing she was startled by his vehemence by his roughness of manner so unlike what she had experienced from him. "'Very well,' said he hurriedly. "'You shall take me, and with me, my share of the mill, and so satisfy every scruple. That, I trust, will content you as it does me.' The girl was frightened, and looked up suddenly to see if he meant what he said. His back was toward the window. Had he occupied a reverse position, she would have seen that his eyes were not kindled with the glow of love that he spoke in anger and to satisfy his conscience not because he had made up his mind that she salome was the only woman that could make him happy the rabbis say that the first man was made male female and was parted asunder and that the perfect man is only to be found in the union of the two severed halves so each half wanders about the world seeking its mate and gets attached to the wrong halves and this is the occasion of much misery only where the right organic sections coalesce is there perfect harmony. It did not seem as if Philip and Salome were the two halves gravitating towards each other, for the attraction was small, and the thrust together came from without, was due, in fact, to the uninviting hand of Mrs. Sidebottom. Come, said he, I wait for an answer. I see no other way of getting out of our difficulties what I now propose will assure to you and your mother a right in this house, and Mrs. Sidebottom will be able to obtain admission only by your permission. Do you see? I cannot, without a moral wound and breakdown of my self-respect, accept a share of the mill without indemnifying you, according to what I believe to have been the intentions of my uncle. You refuse to take anything to which you have not a right, except me, and you will have all that has fallen to me certainly philip's proposal was not made in a tender manner he probably perceived that it was unusual and inappropriate for he added in a quieter tone rely on it that i will do my utmost to make you happy and i believe firmly that with you at my side my happiness will be complete i am a strictly conscientious man and i will conscientiously give you all the love respect and forbearance that a wife has a right to demand you must give me time to consider said salome timidly not ten minutes answered philip hastily i want an answer at once that woman upstairs i mean my aunt i i particularly wish to knock her down with the news that she is checkmated again salome looked up at him trying to form her decision by his face by the expression of his eyes but she could not see whether real love streamed out of them such as certainly did not find utterance by the tongue her heart was beating fast did she love him she liked him she looked up to him some of the old regard which had been lavished on uncle devolved on philip with the inheritance as his by right as the representative of the house salome had been accustomed all her life to have recourse to old mr pennycumquick in all doubt in every trouble to look to him as a guide to lean on him as a stay to fly to him as a protector and now that she was friendless she felt the need of someone strong trustworthy and kind to whom she could have recourse as she had of old to mr pennycumquick mrs sidebottom had been hostile but philip had been friendly Salome recognized in him a scrupulously upright mind, and with a girlish ignorance of realities, invested him with a halo of goodness and heroism, which were not his due. There was in him considerable self-reliance, he was not a vain, a conceited man, but he was a man who knew his own mind, and resolutely held to his opinion, that Salome saw, or believed she saw, and female weakness is always inclined to be attracted by strength. Moreover, her sister Janet had been strong in expressing her disapproval of Philip, her dislike of his formal ways, his wooden manner, his want of that ease and polish which she had come in France to exact of every man as essential. Salome had combated the ridicule the detraction with which her sister spoke of Philip, and had become his champion in her little family circle. i think-I really think said Salome that you must give me time to consider what you have said she moved to leave the room no answered he you shall not go i must have my answer in a yes or no at once come give me your hand she hesitated it was a little wanting in consideration for her thus to press for an immediate answer he had promised to show her the forbearance due to a wife he was hardly showing her that due to a girl at the most critical moment of her life. She stood, steeped in thought, and alternate flushes of color and pauses of pallor showed the changes of feeling in her heart. Philip so far respected her hesitation that he kept silence, but he was not inclined to suffer the hesitation to continue long. Love Philip had never felt, nor had Salome, but Philip was conscious of pleasure in the society of the girl, a feeling and interest in her, such as he entertained for no one else. He respected and admired her. He was aware that she exerted over him a softening, humanizing influence, such as was exercised over him by no one else. Presently, doubtfully, as if she were putting forth her fingers to touch what might scorch her, Salome extended her right hand. Is that a yes? he asked. Yes. And said he, I have your assurance that you never go back from your word. Now, there recurred his mind at that moment, his aunt's sneer about his lack of wit in not offering Salome his arm. And now, he said, let us go together and tell my aunt that you will take all my share, along with me. Let me offer you my arm end of chapter twenty-two